everybody, and welcome to another episode of True Stories in Tinseltown, of Tinseltown, at Tinseltown. It is a true story. Anyway, and I'm here today, and I'm very happy to say I'm here today with Sarah Jordan Heinz, and she has been on the show before, and I loved her. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Grace. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, because I really liked, uh, they liked you. I liked you. The audience liked you. What could be better? You know, I mean, that's perfect. Thank you. Yes. So uh, Sarah had written this wonderful book, and it is called Going Hollywood, Midwesterners in Movie Land. And tell us about your book a little bit. Well, the book is kind of 12 stories in one. I profile 12 classic Hollywood people, and their common thread is they're all from the American Midwest. As you are. As, yes, as I am, yes. And, um, yes. Tell everybody who you profile, because we touched on a lot of them, um, but we didn't get to everybody, but you did. Sure. Yeah, so I've got Clark Gable, Carol Lombard, Jean Harlow. Spencer Tracy, Rock Hudson, Marilyn Maxwell, Ann Baxter, Jean Siebert, Jane Russell, Dorothy Dandridge, Jane Wyman, and gossip columnist Luella Parsons. You got a lot. I think we got I think we did about six. And today we're gonna hit yeah. on two. And they're both fascinating women. And um, we're gonna talk about Jean Seberg. And then after Jean, we're going to talk a little bit about Dorothy Dandridge. And um, as I was telling Sarah earlier, I it's funny because when you read about them, I'm, they're so different. Well, in the fact that Jean's white, Dorothy's black, there's a whole different vibe there. Mm-hmm. Yet there was also prejudice, even though Jean was white, in different angles. But we'll get to that. And yeah. so, so um, tell us about Jean and her childhood and where she was from in the Midwest and then kind of move us into how she ever became a Hollywood gal. So Jean Seberg was born in Marshalltown, Iowa, which is actually the city I currently live in. I work at the local newspaper here. Cool. But I got interest yeah, I got interested in Jean though when I was in high school. And I'm from Iowa originally. So I knew a little bit about her and I had some family in Marshalltown as well. So I'd visited Marshalltown several times as a kid. I had a great aunt that lived here. And my parents aren't from all that far away, so that, that kind of thing. So Marshalltown has about 28,000 people. It's in central Iowa, so it's north of our capital city of Des Moines and kind of in between our two university towns of Ames and Iowa City. So it's got quite a melting pot of people. We have a high Latino population, Burmese refugee population, uh, manufacturing community. At a time, it was referred to as the Pittsburgh of the Midwest, just to give some context on that. And so, Dor- um, so Jean Dorothy Seberg was born here in November of 1938. And her parents were real salt-of-the-earth kind of people. Her father ran the Seberg Pharmacy. It's in our historic 13th Street district across from the Iowa Veterans Home. And her mother was a school teacher, a pretty typical kind of Protestant Midwest upbringing, very much. So she, but, did she have siblings, or was she an only child? Yes. She did. Yes, she's got an older sister, Marianne, whom I uh, spoke with for this book, and, and just kind of knew through life. There's a Gene Seberg Festival 
here every November around the time of her birth to commemorate her birthday at our Orpheum Theater. Oh, how cool. So it draws people. It was actually really cool. A couple years ago, um, a, a man who directed one of her movies, Diamonds Are Brittle, he actually came from France to be a guest speaker at our at our little presentation. So it does draw people from all over, even more so than people from central Iowa. People come from all over the world for this. Well, she, she really, yeah. you know, she was not around a lot, but she made quite an impression on people. I mean, she really, you know, mm-hmm. I know the first time I saw her, I was like, wow, but that's getting ahead of our story. So Jean, Jean was like a, in high school, I read that she was uh, like, she joined the NAACP or something like that. She was mm-hmm. always a kid who was into um, the common good. Yes, very socially active yeah. for a girl her age. And certainly growing up in kind of a small to medium-sized town in Iowa where there, there wasn't a lot of ethnic diversity in that time. I would say that's definitely a newer thing, our diversity here. So, you know, I really had this, this want to be a social activist. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is she was also very interested in Native American rights. And about 20 miles away, we have an Indian settlement called the Meskwaki Settlement. They're a settlement and not a reservation. There's only a few settlements in the country. But, you know, it's very economically depressed there. You know, there's, there's kind of the racial tension yeah. to this day. And, and she was, at one time, even gave money to help buy them basketball uniforms for the Meskwaki Settlement School. I mean, that's just the kind of person she was. She was a good heart. She had a good soul, good heart. So how she got discovered is fascinating. So why don't you tell everybody that story? Sure. Well, uh, Jean had started out just doing high school theater. She, She performed here and then did some summer stock work out on the East Coast, was lucky enough to do that. But little did she know there was a kind of a national talent search. I kind of liken it to Scarlett O'Hara. That's yeah, that's what I thought. Kind of like that. Yeah. Although, you know, the ladies who tried out for Gone with the Wind, I think, were all pretty well established movie actresses. Right. So this was, you know, um, this was a little more unknown, kind of teenage girl, young woman, unknown, they kind were, of looking for. Don't you think they were truly know. looking for that? Because I don't think they had any yeah. mind in Hollywood to do it. No, and, and maybe they wanted someone who was kind of green, and then that way Preminger could kind of mold how he saw fit. That's certainly the impression you get of, of his personality. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tyrannical, you could maybe say. Yes. So it was for the, the movie St. Joan, um, the life story of Joan of Arc. And so this movie came out in 1957. And actually, there were several people here in Marshalltown that nominated Jean for the role. One was uh, Carol Houghton, who was her drama teacher. And then uh, Bill Fisher, who was the head of what is even today one of our largest industries, Fisher Controls, a millionaire many times over. He was a big supporter of her career. So they both nominated her for this. And it was one of those things where... She got a call back, you know, she was a finalist, and it just, that pool kept shrinking, and she kept getting, you know, making the cut every time at the auditions. Well, how and many, I believe it ended up being in Chicago. Yeah. How many people 
were actually, do you know, auditioned? Well, I think that figure has been about 18,000. Wow. Yeah. And so really when you, when you put it in that perspective, it's quite remarkable. It is. And to have her just kind of stand out. And she did. I mean, she really, she did. So she got the gig, mm-hmm. which was huge. Where'd they film the movie? Well, I believe that was overseas. I think that was in um, England. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, the UK. And so that would have been her first trip overseas. I remember there's a famous photo of her waving as she's getting on the plane. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was in England. And she had her hair cut and that adorable. I mean, how many people can look good with that hairstyle? <laughs> you know, the pixie well, hairstyle. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think Mia Farrow gets all the credit for that. But this is a decade before. Yeah. Mia Farrow had that haircut. So, she yeah, wore it better. Really... If you have to say whose, whose head looked better, oh, I think. Mia looked lovely, but I mean, Jean just had that kind of wholesome kind of vibrancy, whereas Mia, I don't think she did at that point. But um, plus, she was skinny, but Jean looked gorgeous. I mean, it just hit her. Yeah, she could pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. Not many people could pull it off. I had a pixie as a kid. I couldn't pull it off. And I was only five. (laughs) Yeah, it's not for everyone. No. uh -uh. Yeah, I think she she cut the hair for the role, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, she got into doing the French film. Then that look just became associated with her as a person. You know, then she was the style icon. Right. It started with St. Joan for the movie role. Because, you know, obviously we kind of remember the story of Joan of Arc and, you know, I really wasn't she passing as a man, isn't that part of the story? I mean, with the short hair. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think that was the impetus for chopping off her long blonde hair. Okay, so she looks adorable with her little pixie hairdo, and she plays yeah. Joan of Arc, which I've never seen. Um, and how did that go? How did that shoot go? Do you know? Well, you know, Otto Preminger came on very strong. You know, Jean, as she told at her audition, she was 17 years and 11 months old. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I love that. And, and I think... You know, she, she of course, had theater experience on a lower scale. Mm-hmm. And I think was maybe intimidated by him. And, of course, the famous scene of being burned at the stake, apparently she had briefly caught on fire. And, Yikes. And they kept, they kept the scene in the film because it looked so compelling. Oh, because it happened. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if you, so when the movie came out and it, and it was not very well received by the critics, you know, it was kind of this being burned at the stake twice kind of thing was how it was phrased at the time. You know, just awful things that, you know, she should go back to that high school wherever he found her. And we have a great school here, by the way. So that shouldn't have been an insult. But it, it was. And, you know, she was very green as an actress, came from small town Iowa. It was an easy target, I think. Very easy target. Did you know. You, did you ever see it? I have seen it. I haven't seen it many times. You know, I just I've seen it and you know saw it once and seen some of her other pictures. Um, some of them are not always easy to find, especially the foreign films. Yeah, know, were maybe only on VHS in the early you know nineties or the eighties. But but yeah, this is one you can find. 
<laughs> I've never but, seen it. And one thing I know yeah. that I saw the one, um, uh, the the silent film that was really really good. And then I saw the oh, one nice. that Ingrid Bergman did, and I think Ingrid was like I don't know forty years old. <laughs> That just mm. it just totally blew it for me that, you know, as lovely as Ingrid was, she was no teenage girl, you know, hearing sure. voices from God. She was a grown woman who looked like a grown woman. Every so often they could, you know, give her a good shot because she was lovely and luminous, yet she was not a teenage girl. Sure. So I, I would like to see just, you know, I guess historically just to see um this film, but I don't think it's played much. I don't think it, I don't think it's even ever played on TCM. Perhaps no. I, I would I would say kind of the next movie to transition into Bonjour for Steph. That would be the one I think plays on TCM the most. I that love was the it. Next film she made. I love yeah, that so film. Yeah, and that was another premise or cast her in another movie. It, it's kind of been phrased as giving her another chance at acting and working with her again. And of course, it's got a great cast. It's got Deborah Carr and David Niven, who's one of my all-time favorites. He's wonderful. I love David. Have you ever read his oh. books? They're fabulous. Oh, I mean, wow! When you yeah. want us to have him at a dinner party? Oh He's my one of those people God! I invite. <laughs> yes, lots of wine and sitting next to David Niven. Life is good. Yeah, yeah, I oh love my him God. too. Yes. Yes, yeah, so she played his daughter in the film. Which was kind of an you know, incestuous kind of, not, not that they did anything, yeah. but they, they were too close, the hanging out, partying. Yeah, yeah. And, kind of an odd plot, yeah, sure. And then, the, you know, they did that whole artsy-fartsy when they were sad. It was in black and white, and she's walking around. But then the, she talks about the story of what happened when they were on the Riviera, and with Deborah Carr comes in and she gets mad because Deborah Carr, he's going to marry her, dad is, mm-hmm. and she thinks Deborah Carr is going to be too much of a pain in the butt. Um, kind of competition. Right. Yeah. And also telling her, yeah. you know, you got to study, you've got to do other things other than just, you know, frolicking here and there. And it's a. Yeah. How dare you, right? Yeah. <laughs> do something with your life. You witch you. <laughs> yeah. So it was. It's not for everybody, but I actually enjoyed it. I liked it. it yeah, it has its moments. It's creative. It's mm-hmm. kind of different. And I think I think Jane was drawn to different. Yes. If you could, you know, to simplify that. You know, she didn't want to be in every movie. I think some of that was even strategic. She wanted to be in films that would be shown at art houses. Yes. That would get, that, you know, get that kind of bohemian crowd interested. Not just any old person going to the movies. I think she a little more highbrow in the taste. But with that one, she also got the critics gave her the old stinkeroo, didn't they? Yeah, that one was not as um, you know it was not the follow up she she hoped for certainly, um, and she really wanted to become a legitimate actress and to grow as a person. And I think she felt like. She had these two films that didn't do that great. What was the next one going to be? And, you know, what do you do? How do you prove? You know, movie goers are fickle. How do you prove that you've got what it takes? So, so then she gets one. She gets that biggie. Well, yeah. So, um, so yeah, St. Joan was 57. Bonjour Tristesse the next year. And then in 59, she was in The Mouth That Roared. Which is, it's an okay movie. It's got Peter Sellers in it. 
But then 1960, we, we moved to Breathless. That is sort of the breakthrough role. Yes. Um, it yeah, started, what, yeah. what it was it called? Like New new Wave Cinema, right? Yes. And, and it was really, she was on the front lines of this new way of making films. And I, she kind of fell into it, you could say. Um, just kind of the, the right place at the right time and, and didn't really know what she was doing. She had described the process at one point as it looking like they were making home videos. And then was happy with the final product. And that did very well. And it sort of made her an icon. It did. And um, Jean Luc Luc Godard uh, had recruited her for the film. And she was signed with Columbia at the time. But because those movies, previous movies, didn't do that great, they said, yeah, yeah, you you can pay us a fee and we'll let her out of this contract to do a movie. Not knowing this was going to be the hit it was. So... Even in the early days, the American studios weren't quite sure what to do with her. So this happened early on. Yeah. So yeah. she didn't... Uh, when did she have her... Was she married yet? Didn't she get married fairly young? Y- yes. So her first husband, um, Francois... I'm horrible with French. I'm a French pronunciation. Uh, they got married in 1958. They actually got married here in Marshalltown at a little church that is now a homeless shelter and a soup kitchen. It had been a synagogue, then it became a Lutheran church, and now it's called the House of Compassion. So I drive by there every day when I go to work. So, you know, you see remnants of Jean everywhere yeah. here. You know, it just makes it extra special for me as a writer. I have yeah. so many, I know so many of her classmates, you know, they live here. So I run into people all the time. So just different, you know, different from the other people in my book, those first-person yes. connections. But, yeah, you know, and, and he was kind of, you know, came from Wells, Parisian, kind of a playboy, having all these parties. And, you know, that wasn't what Jean was used to. I mean, she was used to Sunday dinner at Grandma's house. And, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. But these all-night drinking parties with, with Francois's, you know, guy pals was just, she wasn't used to that. And I think they were kind of young and immature and didn't know where they were going with their lives. And she actually filed for a divorce here in Marshalltown at the courthouse here. And that was that. And I think he has spoken well of her through the years. Yes, there was a really you know, good interview right? that I watched today. Um, and he he spoke very well of her. And this yeah, one I so, saw. yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to marry young and it not work out, I, I think it. It ended well enough, as you could end a young, a yeah. young love. And you they know. didn't have children. Um, she met the the older no. guy then, right? Oh yes, yeah. And so, um, Romaine Gary um, was actually born in what is today Lithuania. So he had quite an interesting pedigree of military experience. Was a writer. He even married a Leslie Brand, who was also a famous writer. And they started their affair while he was still married. So one thing I thought was really interesting when I talked to Jean's sister, Marianne, and she confirmed the family didn't know they had a child until that little boy was maybe eight years old. And she kept this a secret because they didn't get married until the little boy was several years old. Jean? I just couldn't imagine that. Yeah. 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 Their little boy, um, Diego. I just couldn't imagine... 
being pregnant, having a baby, and then keeping it a secret from my parents for eight years. That's so weird. No, I didn't and, know And that. I don't know why. Yeah. There would be really no reason clear. to be. And I, it, I just, you know, because I'm looking up, you know, about him. Um, he would probably be in his 50s. Is he still alive? Romain Gary? No, oh, the son oh, that you hid forever. Yes. Yes. And I, I believe he lives in France, and uh-huh. he did grow up in France and, and speaks French, I think, as his first language. Uh-huh. And he's occasionally spoken about Jane. I, You know, Jane is remains huge in France, so uh-huh. I think he's done more interviews overseas, and of course I don't speak French, so I haven't read all of those. But I, I think he's kept kind of a, a low profile. And, of course, you know, Romain Gary died the year after Jean um, of suicide. Suicide, yes. So, I mean, here he is, a, I believe a teenager still at that time. That's going to be very sad to have both of your parents die. And, and of course, with Jean, I'm not entirely sure what really happened to her. Probable suicide, but that's, you know, that's an aside. I don't know exactly. No. The events leading up, you know, maybe there was some complicity of some people who didn't get her help or what have you. But, but yes, at the end of the day, he was made an orphan at a very young age. Was she even living with his son? Did he live with his mother? Well, the impression I had was, for a while at least, when they were living in France, she and Romain shared, I guess it'd be almost kind of like a, a floor of an apartment with a, with separate entryways. Mm-hmm. So, so Diego played, okay, I'm going to go have dinner with mom, then I go out and then turn, you know, turn the corner and come in a different way and go to my dad's house. So they shared, you know, I guess you'd say an address, but it was converted into two different dwellings. So maybe that was their way of co-parenting by having separate lives. I've never seen a picture of him, have you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the book, I do have one picture of him as a little boy, and then I've seen pictures of him as an adult. He looks a lot like his father, I would say, in terms of kind of the dark features. Definitely that kind of Eastern European look. Yes. I think he got, you know, being from that part of the world, I think he maybe favors his father more yeah. than Gene. One- He's pretty fair. One film Jean did in in the U.S. and she I read that this is her favorite film. This was her favorite film was Lilith, which was actually yes. a really really good film about um, mm-hmm. mental illness. And she was fabulous. As was Peter Fonda, um, Warren Beatty was in it, and uh. um, psh, the lady who was in Streetcar Named Desire, Stella. What's her name? <laughs> Yeah, Kim, Kim Hunter, Kim Hunter, Hunter and yes. Hackman too. Yes, yeah, it was a, quite a cast. Yeah, yeah, and it was really a good movie. And she, she really was great. She played this. I, I guess she would go into silences, um, and not speak, not move, mm-hmm. not do anything. And then when he came there, she sort of came alive for a while. But he was also mentally ill because I guess. Uh, the character of Warren Beatty. I guess his mom had been in the mental institution as well. 
So mm-hmm. it, it's it's not yeah, like a really. fun, fun, fun to your daddy takes your tea bird away kind of movie, but it's it's no, but it's a um, good movie, and it's um, like I I thought Peter Fonda was just excellent too. I just thought he was great as the sort of nerdy, sweet, messed up, you know, just really good all of them, and it was a good film. Yeah. And then another American film she did was Paint Your Wagon with Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood, whom she fell in love with. Yes. Yeah, that that was quite the affair. And her husband was not happy about Mm -hmm. it. There were definitely at least alleged confrontations between the two that that ended in near violence. So, you know, I, I think Jean liked Clint in terms of, you know, kind of down to earth. Not not the pretty boy, cardio type, you know, that she had encountered elsewhere. And I, I could see how they'd maybe kind of attract one another. Politically, oh, she, obviously, they're very opposite. Oh, boy, oh, boy, yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he must he's, have gotten, you know, I would just say he probably changed a lot with age because he's like 90 now. So who knows what he was like then. But um, yeah, he's totally you know, well, he's like 90. What are you going to do? And he's still starring in movies. So, um, but I read that um, Jean fell in love with him and she was very disappointed in him when she found out that not only was he married to his wife still, but he was having Mm -hmm. a two, he had been having a two year affair with um, an understudy that worked there or, or one of the extras. And I think he had two children with this woman. I mean, Clint just spread his seed all over the joint. He has so many kids you wouldn't believe it. So I think didn't the didn't the husband divorce her? Yeah, you know, I think that might have been the final straw between them. I think they had been kind of estranged by then. And I, and that the Eastwood affair kind of sealed the deal on the divorce. And but I think, you know, there were some compatibility issues before that. I'm sure. So when did all this stuff start happening with the um, FBI? I mean, this is horrible, mm-hmm. you guys. She mm-hmm. became um, a huge target of uh, J. Edgar Hoover. And they really basically wanted to ruin her life and her career. So want to tell yeah. everybody about that? Sure. And that, to me, is definitely one of the most amazing parts of her story. Um, And for anyone, not just just a movie star from central Iowa, but for anyone to have had this happen. So she was targeted by COINTELPRO, which is the counterintelligence program. Um, It ran pretty heavily from throughout the 50s into the 70s. It was considered illegal in a lot of ways. And it was surveillance and infiltration of what were deemed, I guess you'd say, maybe domestic terrorist groups. Mm-hmm. But but bear in mind, these were anti-war protesters, Black mm-hmm. Power Movement people. Martin Luther King was even targeted. Um, KKK. I mean, any, anything very left and very right, mm-hmm. right, you know, groups, which is amazing, um, considering how racist and bigoted. Jagger Hoover was, he didn't like the Klan, huh. but, I, but I think he didn't like them, not so much because of the racism, but their extremism. I think he didn't like people who bucked the status quo. He, he liked kind of white bread America, you know, making them great again. I mean, that, that could have been him, you know, that 1950s 
I'm surprised that he was against the Klan because he was he was such a such a guy boy. Yeah. I mean, I forget what the stat is, not to digress too much, but I think at the height, it was maybe one in three or one in four Klansmen were FBI infiltrators. Wow. So he has them thick. Yeah. So I, I, I bring this up because. There's just a wide spectrum that was targeted. And these were people being targeted who were voicing First Amendment rights and beliefs about politics and social movements and women's rights, African-American rights. You know, they had every right to assemble and to join groups and to support them. But the FBI felt differently. So, you know, getting back to Jane, she first got acquainted with a man named Hakeem Jamal. And he was a distant relative of Malcolm X, and that was something he liked to play up as well. And she, you know, became interested in some of his talkings and speeches, and he got her involved with the Black Panther Party, specifically giving money to their free breakfast program. And, of course, the Panthers were kind of, you know, persona non grata with the FBI, and obviously a lot of them came to quite tragic ends. You know, yes. Fred Hampton is quite a horrific example. So to me, I think their interest in Jean was she was this pretty white actress from the heartland. Yes. You know, this blue-eyed blonde. At this point, you know, she'd done decent enough roles. I mean, she wasn't doing, you know, like movie films. I mean, she had enough of a, she was an established actress. And they didn't know why she was showing up in wiretapped phone conversations with other Panthers. They were just appalled by this. She was not the kind of person who should be supporting, you know, a domestic terrorist group. So that's how that happened. She she was found on, you know, her voice was picked up in wiretapping of different Panthers. Um, Elaine Brown was one of her friends. Um, so that's how that began. And yeah, go ahead. So um, they were just saying that she was dating them or dating one. And then when Jean Mm -hmm. got pregnant, um, they said Mm -hmm. that it was from, I don't know which one, but a Black Panther, one of the guys. And um, yes, Raymond Hewitt. Yes. So. and I just, you know, calling from my book here in front of me, um, she received a phone call in April 1970 in Paris. And Elaine Brown and Raymond Hewitt went on the phone. And she referred to him as Johnny Appleseed. It, it's some of her humor um, for planting his seeds around because he had recently impregnated two women. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they were kind of laughing about it. Maybe that was a little in poor case, but, but that's all that was referring to. But Jean herself was pregnant at the time. Now, my guess would be it was not Romaine Gary. I, I think she maybe had you know, a love affair with someone else. Uh, but it was not a Black Panther baby. But, of course, the guys listening in on this, you can picture them, right? You know, right. Holding their cigarettes and their, their bourbon and just having a great time listening in on these phone conversations illegally. And they devised this plan to plant um, a story with gossip columnists about Shane's pregnant, the father's a Black Panther, and 
and, and, and again, I have the FBI memorandum in the book. There's a, there's a page from it I excerpt for the book. And it has counterintelligence program on the header. Underneath it says Black Nationalist Hate Groups, Black Panther Party. That's how they're referred to. And basically, they said Gene Seberg has been a financial supporter of the Black Panther Party and should be neutralized. Her current pregnancy by censored, while still married, affords an opportunity for such effort. But they wanted to make sure she would be far along in her pregnancy, you know, showing yeah. before it would be planted. But of course, the timing, it was soon after leaked. But, you know, neutralize, that's a very powerful image. Um, they wanted to discredit her cause her embarrassment, and, quote, tarnish her image with the general public. That's disgusting, isn't it? And Joyce Haber wrote a huge article. Yes. She called her Miss A. And Newsweek yeah. also did an article on it. And I read yeah. that this, the father was actually, she was doing a movie in Mexico, was a Mexican revolutionary that she had gotten involved mm-hmm. with, whom I don't know, but... Um, yeah, that was that was kind of the story. Yeah, so what? But was, we don't know. No, sure. who knows? But it was just so awful the way that they did that to her. And didn't she try to commit suicide when she was pregnant? I I think that that's probably what happened. Um, you know, the the Newsweek article I think is what put her over the top because, of course, that had a much higher circulation, and it was picked up. You know, Associated Press, yeah, those things are. and you know, where it's published, and you know, before you know it, millions of people have read this story, not just you know, a few thousand or something. And she did go into premature labor, and that was on August 23rd of 1970. And the little girl, she named Nina, died two days later. Uh, and so she was, of course, overseas at this time. She came back to Marshalltown for the funeral, and that little girl is buried in our local cemetery here in the Seberg family plot. But what so really Jane's got parents Yeah. And here, you know, her kid brother who was killed when he was a teenager, he's in the family plot, yeah. too. And and little, little Nina and with Jean, this tiny little headstone. And Jean is in France. And, but the thing that yeah, got me yeah. about this whole thing is Jean took the baby to Iowa and had the baby mm-hmm. in an open casket so people mm-hmm. could see that the baby was not a black baby, that she actually yes. had to do that to show and her premature that. baby. Yeah. That is just yeah. like, that was horrific to me, that she had to do that, take her that poor premature child and show to people who it's none of their damn business anyway yeah, and no go, kidding. look, look. Look what I have. Look look at this, okay? It's not mm-hmm. what you think. How horrible. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. And I can't believe that she even, Jesus, all the pressure she must have been under to do that. Because I, I just, ugh, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable to me mm-hmm. when I read that. Yeah. And yeah. I, and, and I, yeah. And just some people I talked to who were at the funeral felt very confident that the child had looked Caucasian, but it didn't matter. But they they commented on it, you know. Yeah, and let everybody know, pass it down. It wasn't a Black Panther baby, but you know, Jean was forever known as you know this this subversive person, (laughs) kind of you know horrible woman. 
And I think her last film in Hollywood, and I forgot all about this because I haven't seen this movie in so long, was Airport. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a star-studded cast, as you might recall. Of course. And she was in love with Wasn't that her boyfriend? She was in love with him. He was a married man. Oh, yeah. It was very juicy, very juicy. Love that star. Yeah. I think that was one of the first blockbuster star-studded big things that came out. Yeah, what you call the disaster film. Yeah. That was it. All the huge stars from um, the golden era and all that would come in and... Oh, I loved yeah. it. I have to see yeah. it. I'm going to have to to see if I can find it. I haven't seen that in so long. So that was basically her last American film. It was. I, I think it was probably too good of a role to pass up. But I think at that point, she kind of had it with Hollywood. And America maybe kind of blame her. <laughs> enjoyed living. Um, she lived in Mallorca for a while, I believe. I, I don't know exactly how she split her time between Mallorca and France, but those are when, when she had homes. And then she would visit Marshalltown, I think, every few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to see just to see the family. She was very close to her grandmother as well. Um, and, and talking to her sister, Marianne, who was a few years older, you know, Marianne was very... I think different from she, you know, she went to school, got married, still married to the same man. Yeah. You know, it's just a little different life stories. And she had told me, you know, these husbands Jean brought home to Marshalltown, they didn't quite get them, but, but she told me, you know, they made her happy. And because of that, we made, we made it work. We reached out to them and tried to bond and, Make it worse. But, you know, Romaine Gary was about her father's age. So that had to have been kind of awkward, but they rolled with it. And then they really did. So, how many people did she marry? She had the first okay. guy, Romaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Dennis Barry was her third husband. Mm-hmm. And 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 then, you know, as we kind of led up to, I uh, had kind of a, a partner, not really married to um, um, Hosni Ahmad. They, they weren't technically married, but, but Dennis Barry was a film director. And, of course, all these men made movies, you know, they made movies and, and put her in them. And, you know, she always had a star in their films. And I think sometimes there was clashing because of how she was being portrayed on screen and what they wanted to do with her creativity. Creatively, um, and he was the son of director John Barry, who had quite a, a, a resume himself. So, you know, Jean was always attracted to kind of artsy, creative people. Yeah. Very different, but you know that marriage did not go terribly well, well either. She, she was also going through a lot. Where she was, I read that she. I think even in your, I read in your book that she she tried to kill herself numerous times. On um, her daughter's birthday, I think, and once she yes. threw herself under a train in the metro, and yes. um, she just that date. she probably was bipolar, mm-hmm. don't you think? She was she was just yeah. depressed, and I don't blame her and for a lot of the I, stuff. I she even went wondered through. maybe postpartum depression. I, I wondered I anything, you know, just based on some some symptoms, and of course. She grew very paranoid of, you know, American politics, FBI, CIA. And I don't think it was totally unreasonable, but maybe not as to the extent she thought. I don't think they 
I'm sure after COINTELPRO dissolved, they weren't still tapping her phone. But I think to her dying day, she felt like they were. I don't blame her. This I would kind feel of that way, feeling, too. You know, she, not knowing who to trust. And, it was awful what she went through. And very, uh, you know, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And I, I would want to throttle people who would come to see, oh, let's see if Jean's baby's white or black or whatever. You know what I mean? Why? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they I, did. I'm sure there was like lines of people who wanted to just check it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were reporters. Mm-hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. And she was devastated. I can't even imagine them wanting to ruin her life like that. And generally they did. And so... She, I know. So she was married to this guy, and was he the one who was way younger than her? Um, Dennis Berry. Yeah. Asking, but yeah. Um, he was born in 44, so yeah, I guess, you know, about six years younger. Oh, yeah, that's not so bad. Yeah. No, not too, yeah. Yeah, I have this whole and thing it, here. And I think he looked a lot younger than her because, you know, some of her drug use. Yes. You know how that ages you. Yes. I definitely think that contributed to, you know, he had kind of like a sort of afro curly black hair, if I remember. So he looked a lot younger than her, too. Well, I think the I first think. husband, I, I was watching this um, interview and I think, it was, and he said that he went to visit Jean and he went to the door and a woman answered and she was overweight and she looked like an older woman. And he was going to ask if Jean, if he, you know, if Jean was home. And then he looked harder and he saw that it was Jean and mm. how she had just sort of like said the hell with it. I'm done, kind yeah. of, you know, I'm over. Yeah. And um, he was stunned to see her like that. Very stunned. But, you know, I can't even I can't even imagine all that stuff she went through. And I would love to see that son. Um, So she then after this guy, Barry, she hooks up with another guy. This this you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And he was way yep. younger than her. Wasn't he like 22 or something? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much younger and had actually been even, I think, closer to 19, but had said he was older. 22 or something. And yeah, yeah, yeah of Algerian descent. And, of course, a lot of um, Algerians were living in France at that time. Mm-hmm. And she, of course, was very supportive of, of their rights and civil liberties. So ever the activist, no matter where she was living. I think you could say. Yes, definitely. You know, I mean, you you name the place, whether it's the Indian settlement here or Algerians in France. Or making sure children get the breakfast at the breakfast program, because that's a true thing. And they did use money for that and children, you know, things like that. So Mm -hmm. this guy, how was that relationship? Well, I, I think for really everything that people have said and all that's been written about, is that he was involved in kind of low-level criminal activity and was taking money from her, perhaps was even physically abusive. He was living with her. They were not technically married, though. Her her sister had even asked me at one time if I knew they ever officially got married because she did not think so. I had referred to her him previously as a husband, and, mm-hmm. and technically he was not. So, um, you know, maybe considered 
a sort of a common law living together, but but they actually didn't get married. But you know, he was with her leading up to her death, and and certainly was seeing her her mental and physical decline. And was he doing anything to help her? I don't think so. I think didn't the neighbors hear them argue quite a bit? Yeah, that that definitely wouldn't surprise me. I, I think he was. You know, just sort of one of those hanger honors. And she probably word. was too yeah. through. Yeah, hanger honor. Yeah, that's and, a and and ready. I mean, just willing to have someone in her life who took an interest in her. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she. Maybe she did love him. I. I'm not in her head. I don't know. Whatever drew them together, but I. I think he was probably just seeing how far he could get with with a pretty rich American girl and go on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And there are so, those out there. So. How long were they together? You know, that's a good point. It, it was not very long. I think it was just a few a, a few years because she was still technically married to Dennis at the time of her death. So I think it was just for about a year, um, 1979. And that, of course, was the year uh, Jane died. So why so, don't you lead us into that, which is really, really a horrible story. Sure, sure. Well, in late August of 79, Jean disappeared, technically a, a missing person. Um, Hosme had said she, you know, was having those usual suicidal feelings. Leading, you know, this was about around that time of the baby's death, you know, a little after Nina, that. Nina, yeah. Nina, yeah. And so nine days later, after that initial disappearance report, she was found, and, and actually she was found in her car, in the backseat of her car, not that far from her apartment in Paris, which makes you wonder how well the police were really searching. Really? But again, you know, that's just me. But she was found in the backseat of her car, deceased, and there were barbiturates found. There was a note that, that seemed to be a suicide note addressed to her son. Um. But, but again, you know, some things I found to be a little incongruent. She didn't have her glasses with her and, and could not see to drive. So, so I had always wondered, you know, how did she get where she was found? Um, and she was under she a had, blanket, you know, wasn't she? Under a blanket, yeah. And just different things that didn't totally make sense. But it, I guess the Seberg family just said, okay, it was a suicide. It, it you know, they haven't pressed it, but shady to me and and for eight days it does because i mm-hmm. i was trying to think this was a, this in some sort of parking garage or is her car right on the street and they're looking for yes. her do they know yes. that they're looking for her mm-hmm. and yeah all that time they can't find this woman i read eight days ten days it took them to find mm-hmm. her i mean mm-hmm. how horrifying mm-hmm. it does make you wonder you know, what all was, was going on. And, and I'm not disputing her poor mental health, but it, it makes you wonder if perhaps Hosni had put her in the car or she died elsewhere True. and he dumped her there. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, think, I, I definitely think she was despondent and it, I don't necessarily think she was murdered, but I think maybe there's more to the story. That's how I feel anyway, than what was presented. Well, I think it's still a mystery, but like you said, the parents, mm-hmm. you know, they want to move on and they accepted that. But they well, I asked her sister that yeah. point blank, and she just you know just don't talk about it. I, I, I think she can't even conjure that up. You know, doesn't want to visualize all of that. 
And that's that I can understand. Did they go to her? Because no. she was buried in France. And mm-hmm. um, I wonder if they went to her, if there was a burial and they all went. I don't think her parents were at that. I know her son and Romain Gary were. And then in Marshalltown, there was kind of a tribute ceremony for people who couldn't go to France, I guess. Yeah. So, but yeah, her, her graveside is, is in France and the baby's here. And, and she is pretty, she's yeah. still revered big time in France, correct? Yes, yes. And in fact, I, just to give you an aside about Marshalltown, whenever I've heard of people going to France, like vacationing, um, and people say, where are you from? And we say Marshalltown, and they say, oh, Jean Seberg. Like, they know Marshalltown and Jean Seberg. It's synonymous. And I think that's so cool. Kind of cool. It is. Yeah. And that you yeah. have that thing every year, and it's like mm-hmm. not people from Iowa. It's people from all over the country or from France yeah. or from other places that it come is. to these kind of festivals yeah. because they really – do they show movies and have talks or – yeah, it's usually called the Gene Seberg Festival. It varies a little bit year to year depending on funding and coordination, but it's usually a screening of her films. Mm-hmm. There's always a high school student who wins the Gene Seberg Award. It's kind of a scholarship fund you get um, to pursue higher education. There's guest speakers. One year we had a fashion show. There were design students from a nearby college that did Jane Seberg inspired clothing. You know, there's a real love for her. I wouldn't say everyone here loves her. Certainly the more conservative populations in Marshalltown just think, oh, you know, she's that Black Panther funding, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, so there's not, I wouldn't say everyone here loves her, but everyone knows the story. And I think feels, dare I say, shitty about it, regardless of your politics. You have to. You know, I mean, kind of, their heads drop a little when you bring it's it up. It's a sad story. And, you know, it's like some mm-hmm. sometimes some people, you just can't see them getting older. You know, and with Jean, you know, yeah. she just titled so much tragedy piled on her. I mean, she thinks she's she's winning the lottery when she gets chosen to be Joan of Arc. And is it, you know, <laughs> is it, a, you know, she did get out of, Marshalltown, she did become an actress. So much happened. Yeah. But, you know, what would have happened yeah. had she stayed? She wouldn't have been happy, would she have? So who knows? Yeah. All I know is that I really, really, um, I liked her. And I, I the movies I've seen her in, I like. And like I said, Bonjour Tristesse, I like a lot. And boy, oh, boy, I yeah. wish um, David Niven could, uh, I could have a seance and have him <laughs> He would be one of my people, too. Yeah. <laughs> Come on and tell us. He's fabulous. His books are so good. I, I, they are so good. Just juicy and funny. He has such a one. He's so witty and such a wonderful sense of humor. Anyway, with Jean, um, we were going to do Dorothy, but I think we're going to have yeah. to do that another night because this oh, is. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, because we're at 50 oh, minutes sorry right about now. That. No, no. I, I love Jean, and I'm glad that, you know, I didn't know how much. Um, we were going to have to talk about, and we had plenty to do a show. Mm-hmm. And You so, really can. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we could go even yeah. more on it. And Dorothy has yeah. her own story, which is pretty amazing. So um, we'll do that another time if that's okay with you. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. And you were fabulous with the Jean story and everybody. Um, I am really happy to have had Sarah with us again. And you can pick up her book. You still can get it 
Can you get it autographed by you still at the other place? It's on Amazon as well. Yeah, it's on Amazon and then on pageturnerbooks.biz. That's our um, website for all the books we publish. Uh That's how you can get your signed copy, pagetunerbooks.biz. And I love the signed copies. I'd love to do that. My friend still loves your book. And he he goes Um, through it. He finished it. And he he still goes through different chapters because he has to reread something or something if he sees a movie with someone in it. He loves it. Well, I'm so flattered by that since these are Midwest people. I was really hoping people who weren't living in the Midwest would still identify with the book. A hundred percent. Because where, yeah. where do most so. people come from? Most people don't come from Hollywood. Most come from all over the place, yeah. all over the country. You yeah. know, and tons came from the Midwest. So, um, yeah. no. And the name of the book is Going Hollywood, Midwesterners in Movie Land by Sarah Jordan Heinz. And she does a great job. There are all of these people. She goes in depth and wonderful stories, um, lots of good stuff. And... Um, thank you so much. We really, you know, thank you. I'm glad we get the gene. No, I really, cause at first I was like, are we going to be able to get enough to do gene? That's the only reason why I said, well, maybe we'll mix mm-hmm. the two, but mm-hmm. we will get to Dorothy another time. Cause she's amazing. And yeah. so thank you so much, Sarah. And thank you guys for listening. And, um, we will be back next time. And Sarah will be back again. I hope to talk of about course. More people. Thank you so much, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, Sarah. You're great. Thank you. Bye bye. The club with his pants falling down, or the dance that's a dream of romance, or the scene where the villain is me. That's entertainment. Lights on the lady in tights or the bride with the guy on the side or the ball where she gives him her all that's entertainment the pot can be hot simply teeming with sex a gay divorcee who is after her ex it can be Oedipus Rex where a chap kills his father and costs a lot of bother. The clerk who is thrown out of work by the boss, who is thrown for a loss by the skirt, who is doing him dirt. The world is a stage, the stage is a world of Stage is a world of entertainment.